This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Blue Wire. Welcome to Brown's Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer at the OBR and writer, XNO analyst at Cleveland.com, coming at you guys on what is June 13th. It has been a boring week. It is the first week that we have not had any Browns action here for a little while. No OTAs, minicamp is over, all of those things. So we are trying to come up with some information topics. I'm focusing on Baker Mayfield uh, this week for both websites. So I wanted to talk about Baker Mayfield, and we will. But just as we thought we were going to get a time in which we had no Brown Center news, we could let that all go, jumping in is Mike Silver to drop some nuggets about the Browns. I have talked about uh, the Duke Johnson situation uh, on, on two different occasions in WTAM with Dennis Maniloff, uh, also on Cleveland Browns Daily. If you did not get a chance to listen to that, I was on there the other day, I think Wednesday, Today's Wednesday. I don't know. I'm losing track of days. Perhaps Tuesday. Who knows? But nonetheless, I was on both of those places addressing those things. And I end up again talking about those comments uh, that derive from the, the first day of minicamp press conferences. And I did so with uh, Dennis Manoff again tonight. And I did so on Twitter too. Mike Silver jumps in. And I don't think, again, I will echo what I said earlier. I don't think Mike Silver necessarily makes up these things. He's not making them up. I think somebody's telling him, but I think you do have to consider the source from which this information comes. I'm not sure how he's connected to anybody in that building anymore, uh, especially with Hugh Jackson now being gone. So it becomes extremely interesting figuring out who's giving him that information and whether to trust it because you don't really read anything positive from Mike Silver. So there is some hesitation. Are both situations plausible? Sure, they're both plausible. Could Baker Mayfield have riled up the feathers of his teammates by saying what he said and how it was construed through uh, the, the the sort of blaze that is social media and Twitter and what everyone thinks he said, sure, that could have come across that way. And there's no reason to doubt that the veterans in that locker room, such as Joel Batoni or Christian Kirksey, those guys who have been here for a while, wouldn't have raised their eyebrow and said to Bayfield, we need to have a discussion about what was said. All of those things are very plausible. And it could have been a very good discussion. It could have been squashed right there, as it would be with any young quarterback who's trying to change the culture and... It seems like Silver's report was was meant that way. I, again, as somebody who was at that press conference, does not think Mayfield was going at Duke Johnson. He was answering the question simply of, is this going to distract the rest of the team? He did not want to make it seem like it was going to distract the rest of the team. He used the word self-inflicted when I think he meant to say it was an isolated incident or issue for Duke Johnson. It came across differently. I understand both sides of where things are coming from with those people, so I won't go any further further into uh, the stance I have on that, which, you know, I have said now is I, I, I think it was misconstrued, but it's over. It seems to have been squashed from these reports. Take that how you will. I was unable to confirm it with multiple people I have uh, conversations with in the media world. So 
you know, take that for what it is as well. I Nobody else has heard about this. This apparently seems to be something that was only leaked to Mike Silver. So, um, yeah, take it as you will from somebody who's been relatively negative toward Cleveland since his friend Hugh Jackson was fired or the blame was placed with Hugh Jackson. You know, I, I, I'm not here to call somebody a liar, but I do think it's a little strange and the timing is a little uh, strange as well, uh, nonetheless. And then the other report, which was that Todd Monken is having sort of a uh, issue installing things of his of his offense and, and there's, a, there's a slower process going on there with, uh, you know, with between... Um, Freddie Kitchens and Todd Monken. I'm I'm not entirely sure what the story is supposed to be there, other than I think it's a it's a non-story. I'm not entirely sure what there is for people to not understand um, with how this offense is going to be structured. This is going to be um, a Freddie Kitchens run offense. So the 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 transition to to Monken is weird to me because Monken's not the one bringing in his offense and running his offense. You had you know, this, this, this hiring of Freddie Kitchens was largely due to his ability to run an effective offense. And he made Baker Mayfield one of the top quarterbacks in the league the last half of last year. So it's a little bit strange that we would get a report that Monken's transition as offensive coordinator is not going smoothly because he's just learning a new offense and sort of implementing and giving off some of his ideas into that offense. It's not him um, being the sole leader of the offense. Like Freddie Kitchens has been very outward and vocal since his hiring that he is calling the play. So it is his offense. He's calling the plays, probably structuring practice in terms of what plays he wants to see. So it, I'm not sure what Todd Monken could be doing so wrong right now that would involve Freddie Kitchens increasing his role because Todd Monken is giving his input and learning a new offense. So it's very weird. I get I get where there could be a, a sort of hesitation in the dynamic that those two have because they are bringing in a different offense altogether between the two of them. But, um, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure where that's going. To me, it is an absolute non-story. When I have been there and, uh, you know, been involved watching practices, I have noticed those two in lockstep working very closely uh, Monken being the one who's barking out a lot of things that are going on offensively. Freddie Kitchens doing a lot of individualized coaching, doing a lot of the build-up, tear-down things that need to happen with mental mistakes. So to me, it's not an issue. It's never something I left there thinking. Who knows where that comes from? I don't know that that is a very insightful piece of information, simply due to the fact that that Monken is not bringing in his own offense. He is just simply learning, and it is early. It is only OTAs and minicamps. So he's learning how to click with Freddie Kitchens. He's learning how to work that style of offense. All of those things are going to be figured out eventually. Just give it time. I would not worry about any of it at this current you know, state of the situation. And uh, I'm not entirely sure why that felt like it needed to be reported. Yet here we are uh, talking about it in early June. So um, otherwise, I've had some people ask me, I want to address this too. Why wouldn't the Browns just cut Duke Johnson? Well, the Browns might have put Duke Johnson on the trade market, but at the same time, nobody in the NFL valued him enough for the Browns to feel comfortable letting him go. And by value him enough, I mean felt comfortable giving up anything of value for Duke Johnson. So while Duke is hurt, uh, you know, about the Browns putting him on the market, that doesn't mean anybody else in the NFL values him any much more than the Browns do. It to, to me, it seems like the Browns valued him by not letting him go for a sixth or seventh round pick. They kept him and see a role for him. Freddie Kitchens has been outward since the beginning of minicamp that he's under contract. He has a role here. We want to use him. And they did. They were using him effectively in minicamp with all the different groups that were running in and out of the field. So... There's a role for Duke Johnson. The hope is, like Mayfield said, that he continues to show up, be professional, do his job, and that is what he was doing in camp. So, um, 
you know, this is just noise. It's just noise right now. I don't see it an issue until I guess it becomes a bigger outward issue than it is. I mean, we, we had a couple interviews, but it doesn't seem like anybody had that big a problem at camp and there was no issues at practice and Mayfield and Duke Johnson were talking occasionally. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you other than I don't think it's an issue. And I just think that with this team and with the stars that it now has on this team, there are going to be stories like this that are created. And the Browns being a focal point of the 2019 season, we will see more and more like this. So my mind is trying to get trained for these situations, trying to get trained for these reports and trying to fiddle, uh, not fill, but like understand and filter out what is real and what isn't. So it's a work in progress, as it should be for all Browns fans, trying to understand, um, you know, what is a real riff in this team, what are real issues with this team, and what are not. So, um, you know, at the current state of things, it's it's not something I think anybody should be all too worried about um, in terms of, you know, is it going to have a long-term effect on this team? I don't think it's going to have any sort of long-term effect on this team at all. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't stress about it. So um, news as it is, there's no other news, roster updates, anything like that at this time. There's, um, you know, there's just sort of the status quo. It seems like most of the personnel office will get, um, you know, will be able to get out of the office for this month, have a break. The players obviously have a break. They're going to be, um, you know, they're going to be a, a big part of, uh, getting away and then working together and getting reps in in these summer months. But it's good that the the, the group gets to sort of step away, catch their breath, um, you know, recharge the batteries. I'm sure John Dorsey and Freddie Kitchens will still be uh, working, um, you know, in the office and working and doing the best they can all the time. But for the most part, it will be everybody gets away. There should be a dead time in news, and then we should see everybody sort of starting to trickle back to uh, Berea around mid July as camp date should get announced soon. So we'll keep our eye on that, but let's bury those reports. Let's move on to what will be, I think a fun interview as we talk about Mayfield on the field. Before we do that, I want to talk to you guys about Harry's razors. Um, I've done this with you guys in the past. I'm not, I'm not leading you aside here. I, I use Harry's razors. I'm a big believer in them. Um, so go to harrys.com slash blue wire. It's going to save you $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lather shave gel and a travel blade cover. So you get all of those for just $3 to get them shipped to your door. Okay. It's the free trial there enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. They fix shaving by combining a clean, simple design with quality, durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders retired of paying, uh, for overpriced razors that were overdesigned, so they built a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. So join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your free trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, so make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just $3. Alrighty, and lastly, when you're shipping or selling online. Uh, getting your orders can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter what you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, whatever, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, Blue Wire listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the promo code BLUE, B-L-U-E. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information, which 
which is important. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. So just visit ShipStation, S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in blue, B-L-U-E. That's ShipStation.com. Enter that promo code blue, ShipStation.com. Make ship happen. All right, let's get over to today's interview with Derek Klassen from Football Outsiders. All right, guys, as we chat about Baker Mayfield, I'm, I'm trying to bring in as many different opinions and topics from people I know know quarterback play. So we are going to be joined by Derek Klassen. Derek writes for Football Outsiders, does film room work for them, uh, amongst the myriad of other topics he does for them throughout the year. A great football website if you're not going there. I suggest you do so. Therein you will find Derek's work. Derek, how you doing, man? I'm doing great tonight, man. How are you? Can't complain. Can't complain. We had a, um, we call it a Mike Silver, uh, a Mike Silver bomb, I guess, is the way it's in this fan base, man. We get We get these... Ever since his connection to Hugh Jackson, uh, you know, dating back a couple years now, we we noticed that there are interesting reports that come from Mike Silver that that carry uh, interesting insights. We'll leave it at that, Derek. So he dropped a couple about Mayfield tonight as somebody um, that is outside the fan base because you know you you get a circular sort of feel for this sort of stuff when you're a Browns fan and. It seems like the opinion's different from place to place. Did you, I would imagine you, A, read or at least saw the clip of, of Mayfield talking about Duke Johnson. What's your opinion on how that whole thing went down? Yeah, so I I don't think it's complicated at all. Like, he, he shouldn't have said it. Like, he was pretty clearly out of line um, to kind of so vehemently uh, go at a teammate like that. But at the same time, this is what we expected from Baker, at least to some degree, whether or not it was going to be um, like a massive problem that's going to end up blowing up the locker room or he's just like kind of a petty guy. We, we weren't really sure where he was going to fall on that spectrum, but I think we always knew Baker was going to kind of be someone who, I mean, wore his heart on his sleeve. And if that comes to when a player is talking about trade talks, then that's what it comes to. So um, it's probably something he's going to have to learn to get better at, but it's not like this is out of character for Mayfield. And I personally don't think it's really going to cause that big of a rift uh, moving forward. Yeah, I think it's good that they were able to handle that in-house, and I'm sure his opinion... It, it was interesting, Derek, because the way the question was sort of framed uh, when I, I was there when they were asking it to him was, um, you know, Duke had 10 minutes prior to that sort of said, yeah, I want traded. He was the first person to talk to the media. He was the first person to have... Uh, you know, who's the first appearance he's made in Berea this offseason. So that question came up quickly about his trade request. And he, yeah, he echoed it that I, I want to be traded. And um, I, I thought a fair follow-up question to that was, is there anything the Browns can do to mend that situation? And he said, no, there's nothing they can do. I want to be traded. So then Mayfield comes out and the first question he receives, which is what everybody talks about is, um, do you think this trade will affect, or sorry, Duke's trade request will affect the rest of the team. And his answer was, no, I don't think it will because it's self-inflicted. I don't necessarily know that he meant to use self-inflicted in the sense that we think it is, which is where people have sort of t- taken the self-inflicted and turned it into like selfish. Uh, I don't think that's what he was getting at. I think he was saying this is something that is Dukes for Dukes to deal with because it's his issue. It's not a team-wide issue. 
but I absolutely understand where everybody else is hearing that, reading that, and thinking that's too far. Um, but I, to me, it was never like, and this, I don't want it to come off as like I'm a, a Mayfield supporter no matter what, because I've been very critical of some things he's done in the past year, and this one to me wasn't it because like after that comment, which I got why people started to blow up social media with issues about it. But he was very complimentary of Duke and said that he, I'm sure he'll show up and do his job just like he's always done. He's been a big part of this place in the past, blah, blah, blah. All of those lip service things. But it's like, I think there's something to learn here, right? There's something to learn in terms of how you, you have to be very meticulous about word choice, especially with the media, especially as the face of a franchise. And that's something he'll have to learn because you're right. He He's brash in nature and nature, and that makes sort of the way he comes across different it, it feels different it feels a little cocky a little arrogant maybe he didn't mean it that way it's interesting so we'll back off that topic because that'll get hashed out a ton but I, I want your sort of synopsis this is very open-ended then we'll delve sort of delve into some more narrow focuses but just your opinion of how his rookie season went in the in the 13 and a half games I'm sure you watched all of if not all of or broke them down so I just sort of want your opinion of Mayfield's rookie season Right. So in short, uh, very good. I mean, he obviously broke the passing touchdown record um, in not even a full season, which I think was obviously the most impressive part. Um, even before I break into like break into what his entire season was there, I feel like are very few rookie quarterbacks where either the first drive they get on the field or the first game or maybe the first big moment that they have to deal with. They very clearly show you like, oh, this is the guy, or at least you have very good hope that this is the guy. What Baker did in that Jets game when he had to come in was like, I don't think very many guys over the past handful of years or whatever would have been able to play the way that he did um, on such short notice uh, the way that he did. But in terms of his overall year, I think he was mostly like what you expected him to be out of college. Um, I think a lot of those older guys tend to be that way where there isn't as much learning curve with them. Um, I think Baker Mayfield for rookie was very good at getting through his reads um, for the most part. Um, he still kind of does the thing where he just blanks on people over the middle of the field, but I think that's more of a young quarterback thing. Like Lamar Jackson still has the same issue, Josh Rosen. So I think that's something he can grow out of, but he does kind of tend to just blind fire um, if he thinks he has something over the middle. Um, I think the most impressive part to me uh, for his rookie season was he was a lot better under pressure than I had anticipated. Not that I thought he was bad under pressure at Oklahoma. I actually probably thought he was better at it than most people, but he proved to be, I think, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL under pressure. And to be that as a rookie, I thought was super impressive. Um, the way he could move outside the pocket, the way he could make some of the subtle moves inside the pocket, I thought was maybe something that would come down the line, um, but not quite as a rookie. And I think he, he got some help from a pretty decent um, trio in the interior, but I still think he had to be the one to um, tie it all together, and I think he did a very good job of that. Uh, in terms of accuracy, I think he was fantastic. He's was really about as good as a rookie can be. He had a couple of dimes, especially on like deep crossers, that I thought were insane, which makes a lot of sense given that Oklahoma's uh, offense did a lot of that type of stuff. So um, just generally speaking, I thought his rookie season was very impressive. Um, I still think he has plenty of room to grow, even for as uh, impressive and well-rounded as he looked this year. So... Um, I think people are probably a little too uh, excited to say that he's going to be something like what Patrick Mahomes was already, like to say that he's going to be that next year, just because that's such an unattainable bar, really. Um, but I think he's going to be very good and, and, you know, propel himself into probably the upper echelon very quickly. 
Well, that leads to my next question. And in this, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on where my stance is on this. Um, you know, taking all of those things you said, Derek, all of those things about his rookie season. Here, Here's what's interesting. Like, I've seen some polls that people have thrown up about. Um, Good Morning Football, I think, did one the other day about uh, five players that are logical MVP candidates based on going into next year. And May- Mayfield was one of the top two, if not the top name that they had selected. And people get very defensive about that. So to me, it's kind of a little bit weird because we've seen these quarterbacks take year two leaps recently, right? We've seen Jared Goff, obviously. We saw Carson Wentz, who I would think, you could correct me if I'm wrong, Derek, but if Carson Wentz doesn't tear that ACL, is he winning the MVP in 2017? Is that fair to say? I think he's right there. Um, I think just because of like people would have kind of been tired of giving it to Brady. I think Brady was better, but I think once his season was so much more exciting, uh, so much more fun and for him to be a second year guy. Yeah. I'm, I think he would have ended up winning it. Yeah. So like, then you get Patrick Mahomes who's, who didn't really have a rookie season. He had the week 17 start, but he didn't really have a rookie season, but then he launches into stardom in year two. So it's like, to me, I know we all want to be a little bit hesitant here, but based on like the last three years of the 16 class, the 17 class, and what Deshaun Watson was even able to do his rookie year into a second year, and then the you know with Mayfield now coming out in the 18 class, wouldn't year two be logical to say this team around him is far better? They have improved depth at wide receiver, brought in one of the top three wide receivers in foot, all of football, brought in an innovative mind and Todd Monken to work with an innovative mind that really pushed Mayfield into, I would say Baker Mayfield was one of the top five quarterbacks in the league the last half of last year. Like numbers sort of support that it, in a sense. I could, you could be, you could talk me out of it, but he had a very good second half of the year with Freddie Kitchens. Um, wouldn't it be logical to think that an MVP sort of season should be what not not just necessarily the goal, but it wouldn't be crazy to think about. Am I right or am I crazy? To, I, I just I try to think like okay, if if people last year thought or had said Patrick Mahomes is going to be uh, the MVP, after, they would have people would have laughed him out of the room. You know, it's just it's crazy to think about. But when you look at the trends and you would say okay, year two quarterbacks are making this leap. You had Mayfield who had an unprecedented rookie season for the most part goes into year two, the expectations for him should be very, very high. Now, are those fair? Maybe not. But should they be Should they be there? I, I guess that's what's becoming a fair question of late. Am I right about that? Uh, so MVP, I don't think, is out of reach. Um, the thing about an MVP is that, especially for a guy that's still so young, even for as impressive as he is, you still need so many things to go right to even be in the running for MVP like even with Carson Wentz he had an insane offensive line that was very healthy um his defense was giving him a ton of turnovers and giving him a very very nice field position I think they had the most drives that started um in or near the red zone that year which is basically just like gifting Carson Wentz a bunch of touchdowns not that he didn't earn them and not that he didn't play well but it the conditions made it such that he was able to produce probably a little bit better than he was actually playing Uh, Whereas, on the other hand, you look at Deshaun Watson last year, where I think you could make the argument he was playing at a level that if the situation was a little bit better, he would have been an MVP candidate. I think he was playing that well. But the problem is that the situation devolved, be that injury, be that 
uh, O'Brien having issues, be that um, the defense wasn't generating turnovers at an insane rate like uh, maybe the Eagles were. So I think it just takes a lot of things to go right, which I think is certainly possible. You know, you mentioned the offense is uh, probably going to be better. I really like the hire of Todd Monken. Um, like you mentioned, uh, Odell Beckham is there who makes every quarterback look good. I mean, if he can make <laughs> Eli Manning and Zach Mettenberger look good, he's going to make Baker Mayfield look like a Hall of Famer. Um, so I, I think he has all the right recipes now. But at the same time, Cleveland also benefited very well from uh, injury luck last year, which could end up turning around and, and making the offense a little bit more uh, unsustainable than they had at the end of last year. Absolutely. Um, and like I said, you just need a lot of other things to go right. So it's not out of reach. It's not It's not crazy, but you probably wouldn't end up being my bet. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I, and I don't think either of those two quarterbacks, Mahomes or Wentz, were the, were the bet either going into the year. So it's like there's a balance there. Like, you know, you would want to – my my point with Browns fans or what, they, what we think – uh, you know, people that follow me or, or follow the analysis is they think Baker Mayfield is going to be this amazing quarterback, which I'm, I see signs of it. I see some signs of hesitation, but I see signs of it. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm there. It's just, it's interesting to me that people still like blatantly throw out the window, this, this idea that Mayfield could be the MVP when it's like, well, if you look at all of the factors and you look at the recent trends that we've seen, not that, Tom Brady hasn't been phenomenal still and Drew Brees is still putting up superhuman numbers and Phil Rivers is doing his thing like those guys are all doing their thing but like these year two quarterbacks are taking this jump and it's almost like the story right like the Chiefs were the story last year the Eagles were the story in 2017 like are the Browns the story in 20, 2019 you know so it's interesting I think that all of the necessary ingredients are there the improvements all around um, that I don't think it is crazy to even to even say, like, I would be comfortable putting some money, if you're a betting kind of person, putting some money on that sort of thing. Because if you just look at the data of the last few years, it could make some logical sense. Not that it's all going to follow along. And also, like you said, Derek, not quarterback progress isn't linear. Just because he has a good rookie year doesn't necessarily mean a good year two uh, is, is, is in the works. I'll ask you this. I'll follow up on that. You mentioned... Uh, injury luck, all of those things. The offensive line in front of him, they traded Kevin Zeitler, probably one of the league's premier pass-blocking right guards. Do you see that being an issue, whoever they replace him with, whether it's Austin Corbett, they're rotating two other young players, Kyle Kalis and uh, a veteran Eric Cush, who they signed from Kansas City. Do you see that right guard being an issue? And if so, explain to people why that right guard might be an issue for somebody of Mayfield's stature. Uh, it, it will be a problem, but it'll probably be a problem that ends up overstated. Like height, height does matter at quarterback, no matter how often we see, you know, a Russell Wilson or a Drew Brees, like they're not like, they're good because they know how to play short, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think, ba I think Baker Mayfield does. Um, I think he does a good job of making subtle moves in the pocket. I think he does a good job of standing tall when he can. Um, but the problem is, even if you're good at those things, there's still going to be moments where you get a, a guard pushed into you and you can't react quickly enough because you're short and you have to move, but you're, you know, you, you weren't able to in time or something like that. So I think it'll probably be a small problem in that sense. Um, but at the same time, like I mentioned, I, I think he does a generally a very good job of making up for those things within the pocket. And if a situation arises where he ends up being forced out of the pocket more this season or Kitchens and Monken just end up uh, intentionally moving him out of the pocket, whether that be sprint outs, rollouts, boots, whatever, 
Um, I think he's very good outside of the pocket, and I think he's very good at handling pressure. So unless it like completely explodes and whoever fills in for him is not good and they have like one or two other key injuries, I think then maybe it could crumble. But I think that would be true of most quarterbacks in that situation. So I think Mayfield should be able to handle it pretty well. Absolutely. Um, very, very fair. I think it is probably a little bit overstated. It's interesting. Um, where, where do you think if he's going to take what we were just talking about that MVP leap, uh, to put up maybe 45 touchdowns, 40 to 45 touchdowns, 4,500-ish yards, whatever. Browns win 11, 12 games. What does he have to improve upon or cut out of his game to get in those, um, to cut that, you know, he had the 14 interceptions last year. Uh, I think that some of the, there were some that were tipped that I think could have gone either way too. I think he had unlucky, but he was also lucky in other situations where he was throwing to somebody, the Denver game, there was another in the Chargers game week six where he was throwing somewhere and a ball got batted down at the line of scrimmage that, to my opinion, was going to be blatantly intercepted, um, or at least a shot to be intercepted. I shouldn't say you never know if it's going to be actually picked off. But his other 14 throws that they were deemed by pro football focus as interceptable were picked off. So if you're looking at how he improves um, going into year two to cut down issues and then take his game to another level, what parts of his game do you think have to get better? Uh, To me, I think... This is true of every single rookie and young quarterback is you just have to get cleaner and better at processing. Like even for as smart as Mayfield is and for I think as quickly as he grasps the offense, like a rookie just isn't going to look the same way as a fifth year veteran. Even if maybe their numbers end up looking the same, like there's just an understanding of hot routes, checkdowns, knowing which tags to call, like all those sort of things that I think matter. And I think he was probably very good at for a rookie, but it's still something as he um, especially moves into a new offense with Monken, I think he's going to have to find a better grasp of. And again, I think he was good at those things, but that's just something any young player has to continue to improve at. I think he also needs to be a little bit better at um, – identifying some of those blind spots that I mentioned earlier. Like I think he has a tendency to where, especially if he has his back turned on a play, he will just fire out a middle of the field defender and not realize what he's doing. And I think a lot of that comes from pre-snap understanding of where a player is supposed to move, understanding what shell they're in, um, which guys are supposed to get matched by who, those sort of things. So I think if he can clean up those sort of things, he'll probably cut down on his interceptions a little bit more. Um, I think really he's done a lot of other things well. I think his accuracy is pretty good. I think the way that he handles pressure, again, could be better because he he was a rookie and those guys just don't end up handling it as well as veterans. But um, I think he was already good at that, and I think he can continue to get better. For me, for Baker, it's not so much about like finding what was he bad at and what can he improve. It's really just getting better at the things that he's already good at. And he has such a well-rounded skill set that I think if he just even makes marginal strides in – um, things across the board, whether it's accuracy, footwork, um, decision-making, all those sort of things. I think if he even just makes marginal gains, he ends up being such a more devastating quarterback because it would be so hard to poke holes in his game. Yeah, I, I agree uh, very much so, especially with m- improving those marginal pieces. I'll ask you this to put you on the spot before we go, Derek. What does his stat line look like, yards, touchdowns, interceptions uh, in 2019? Your best guess. So, actually, I have a little bit better than a best guess. Um, I I wrote something for Optimum Scouting where I looked at the past year one to year two jumps since 2011. And 2011 is the cutoff because that's when they changed the CBA. Um, And a lot of practice rules change, what you can do in the offseason. 
So basically, you're, you're not allowed to develop quarterbacks as quickly and as rigorous uh, as you were in the past. Um, so since 2011, there's been 20 quarterbacks, not including the 2018 class. And I basically just took the average of what their different gains were from year one to year two. And I weighted them based off of the quality of a player's year one. So obviously, if they have an insane rookie season, the potential to grow is probably not as high just because they're already very, very well ahead of the curve. Whereas bad rookie years are, you probably have more room to grow. So sure. for Mayfield, basically what I did is I, I weighted the average of the 20 quarterbacks previously and I tacked it on to Mayfield's rookie year. And what I ended up with was 64% completion, 4,300 yards, 32 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, and basically a seven, uh, 6.91 uh, adjusted net yards per attempt. The only thing I'll say is the interceptions is probably high and the reason is the way that the projections work is that there really wasn't that much of like uh, an improvement year to year over interceptions. Like mostly you were throwing around the same. Yeah. And so what you mentioned earlier with Mayfield getting pretty unlucky means that his rookie total was probably super inflated. And then the projections don't really show that improvement. So I actually think he'll probably end up throwing less interceptions than these projections ended up spitting out. So I think that's the good news. So he may end up, uh, you know, with a, a much higher adjusted net yards per attempt than 6.91, yeah, which is already that, pretty good. The, the, first off, that's fantastic data and, and, and great research. Can people find that on your on your page anywhere? Uh, yeah, I posted it on OptimumScouting.com. Okay, okay, yeah, guys, check that out because that's that's interesting. I think I think a lot of that is right on. I've I've been very outward and vocal that if, even if Mayfield just sort of the status quo stayed the same. If you stretch out his 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 performances over what is it? I think he played fourteen and a half. I keep saying thirteen and a half, but he he missed the first two and came in half. Yeah, so it's fourteen and a half, right? Am I losing my mind? He missed two. Uh, if missed he, if yeah. he missed the first two, then it would be thirteen and a half. Okay, thirteen and a half. I, I'm terrible with this stuff. Anyway, <laughs> if yeah, if you so if you stretch that out, he would probably have sat at about thirty two and sixteen, right? Like he would have added maybe five touchdowns and would have added a couple interceptions or so and maybe got to that 4,300 yard bar. So that's what a full season looks like for him. I would think that he would be very ardent about improving on that interception number just based on who he was in college and who he, you know, his efficiency that he craved and talked about all the time. So I'm, I'm very fascinated to figure out where that leads to for him um, in year two with cutting down. Cause you said there are some propensities to uh, miss guys over the middle with, with some errant attempts high, and then, and two, like you said, there are occasions he will miss defenders when he's working uh, you know, between the hash marks, too, just in coverage. And every quarterback has that happen on occasion, but it happened to him quite a few times. So Derek's numbers, 32 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, uh, 4,300 yards, would be a pretty strong football season, a uh, pretty strong year of quarterback play, and let's hope that Mayfield can get to that. So, Derek, you are on Twitter at QB Class. That's K-L-A-S-S. And then you're on Football Outsiders. Anywhere else people can read you? Uh, every now and then I post to OptimumScouting.com. Uh, once we're done finished writing the Football Outsiders Almanac, I'll actually have more time to post there, um, just with a lot of more scheme stuff that I get to do in the summer, which is a lot of fun, so... Good, man. Fantastic. Well, there's a ton of stuff you guys can learn, that Almanac Football Outsiders. A lot of you come to me about X's and O's and how things work. Those guys are doing fantastic work. All of those things. His film rooms are going to give you insights, too. And it's not just the Browns. It's everybody in the league. So uh, jump on board, Football Outsiders. Again, follow Derek at QB Class. Derek, thanks for joining me, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me on. 
All right. Yeah, no problem. And, and we will jump back uh, next week, guys. I'm going on vacation, so I'll be out uh, next week. I, I, I'm, I'm going to try to get a recording done from, from Wilmington, North Carolina. Fingers crossed. We'll see how that goes. But otherwise, we always love the subscriptions uh, on iTunes, five-star reviews, all of those fun things that keep us going. Uh, keep your interest there. Anytime on Browns Film BDN, hit me up. Let me know if you guys want any guests on. Derek was a, a volunteer guest or a, a guest who was brought to me by another person. We now follow each other. I like his insights. I've been reading his work. So I always am open to learning about new people for uh, all the topics you guys want to hear about. So until next week, as usual, guys, go Browns. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.